Hello and welcome to the Trips and Global on Wheels podcast hour. I'm your host, Ming Canaday. Trips and Global on Wheels is focused on sharing resources and insights into disability advocacy, fitness and health, and accessible travel. Our mission is to build a community of healthy, worldly, and informed advocates. Each week on our podcast, we interview someone with a disability or someone whose work advances the disability rights movement, both locally and internationally. Hello, everybody. Today, we have the amazing honor of welcoming Curtis McGrath onto our Trapes and Global on Wheels podcast hour, August 23rd, 2012. That was the day it all changed for Curtis McGrath, a combat engineer with the Australian Army who had been deployed to Afghanistan a couple months earlier. McGrath stepped on an improvised explosive device, IED, while patrolling the Taliban-infested region. It detonated, taking both his legs with it. 18 months after this fateful day, Curtis was crowned world champion at the World Sprint Canoe Championships in Moscow, Russia. This has started his path to the Paralympics. In 2016, just over four years after losing his legs, Curtis, true to his word, not only made it to the Paralympics, but made history in becoming the first Australian to win a Paralympic gold medal in the para-canoe event at the 2016 Paralympic Games in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Although the 2020 Tokyo Paralympic Games have been postponed, the goal remains the same, to defend the gold medal he won in Rio, but also add another with the V1 canoe being added to the Paralympic schedule. The Tokyo Games are going to be an amazing event. Curtis has picked up an impressive list of international awards, including being the first ever para-athlete to win the Sportsman of the Year Award at the World Paddle Awards, the one Curtis is most proud of. As Curtis conveys, I'm the first Paralympic or para-canoe athlete to win the award and was against high-profile athletes from all over the world who have achieved a lot. It's been a very humbling time post-games, and there has been a lot of recognition for what I've achieved, but I'm just going out there and enjoying myself on the water, so to be recognized is really cool. Without further ado, let's listen in on my conversation with Curtis. McGrath. Curtis McGrath, welcome to the Trips and Global on Wheels podcast hour. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Um, I hope you're ready to, to talk and dive deep because we're going to cover a number of different topics. And I just want to let you know that if there are any questions that you're uncomfortable answering, you don't have to answer them, okay? No worries. Cheers. And uh, so I just want, with the first question, I want to open with, you know, um, you, you joined the disability community later in life, right, at age 24. Um, mm-hmm. So, and after being in, you know, being an able-bodied person for 24 years, so do you feel that there is a large distance between you and the able-bodied community now uh, due to attitudinal and infrastructural barriers that, that do exist? Um, I would say, not as not as prevalent as what some other people might have experienced in the past. I've been pretty lucky to, you know, have all the support networks around me support me through everything that I've tried to do and have encouraged me to do. And I think um, 
know, there's still a long way to go with infrastructural sort of requirements. So I think that's something that society is starting to get its head around and understanding that we're all, you know, humans and we're all have equal right to access a building or a facility or, or you know, an activity. And I think that's something that um, is not going to change overnight, but, you know, there's, there's some really good positive movement, but, you know, there's still a long way to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, and what are some myths or misconceptions that you've learned along the way that, you know, able-bodied people have about individuals with disabilities? Um, what prejudices and discriminations have you faced that you didn't necessarily have to deal with before, if, if relevant? Um, I guess uh, it's organizations or um, situations which we, you're dealing with um, large uh, like corporations that have set out their ways and have sort of stuck in their old ways. And, and I'm going to point the finger at maybe the aviation industry and they're, you know, they're trying really hard to, to make it accessible and everything like that. But um, just the fact of, uh, like I can't sit in a, an exit row on an aircraft because they deem me unable to be of assistance to lift the door out you know, in the, in the event of an emergency, but yet they'll get, you know, a 75 year old woman that doesn't look like she's been to the gym one day in her life and she's allowed to sit there. And it's sort of like this um, uh, assumption of ability just because I look different or I am different. And I'd understand that, you know, if, if I was missing both my arms, there might be an issue there or you know, it's sort of the, um, the common sense approach doesn't always get applied to dealing with people's disabilities and even just asking them you know i think that's one of the things that i found that wasn't as normal um you know asking people what would you like how would you like to do this you know how do you think you can do this or you know how can we help you do this rather than no you can't do this because and it's sort of assuming that we're already just more disabled than what we actually are. And um, I wouldn't call it, you know, personal discrimination. It's just a discrimination of stereotype. And, you know, like I was saying at the start, it's still a long way to go there. Yeah, I think a lot of it is systemic and structure. The structure is set in place and the system is set in such a way that it is demeaning. Um, mm. I, I don't know about you, but I, I travel. Um, I know you travel a lot too, and mm. I also do in a wheelchair. And I, I think I use a wheelchair a lot more than you, seeing as I use yes. it 100% of the time. Um, but when you're traveling, just like having you all tied in and buckled in to get on the plane. I don't know how you get on the plane. I, I, you must use your prosthetics. That would yeah, be I do. Easier. Yeah, yeah. If I were yeah. you, I would use your prosthetics. Anyways, <laughs> um, I don't. I don't have that choice. And so you get like fastened down and buckled in. And sometimes they have three people helping you. And it's just very, I find it undignifying. Very, that's not the word, but very demeaning. Um, and I think technology can progress in such a way that we can function those things ourselves. Because for me, all I need is to go from the entry of the plane to my seat. And sometimes yes. that distance is what, like 10 feet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and so I think, especially with these days when we have like jetpacks and we have the internet where there's 14 hours of difference, 17 hours of difference, and we're conducting interviews from, yeah. you know, uh, a world away 
um, I think if there were more attention paid to this kind of technology, um, mm. it could definitely get done because it's not rocket science. Technology has progressed to a point where a lot more complicated things have been done. Yeah, for sure. And, and I just want to go at the point and, and just asking the person, what do they want as well? And I think that's really important to ask, to find out, you know, how we can make this easier, but not overcomplicating it as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, another similar question. So I know you do use your wheelchair part-time, especially mm -hmm. at home. So do you feel that people treat you differently when you're sitting in a wheelchair in public versus standing up with your prosthetics? Um, if yes, how so? And then this is a multi-pronged question. So I hope you have a good memory. What about, what about mentally? Do you feel more confident standing up or sitting in a wheelchair? How does this confidence or lack thereof affect your social interactions when you're sitting down in a wheelchair versus um, standing up with your prosthetics? Yeah, um, firstly, I do notice a difference uh, in, in being on my prosthetics to my wheelchair. Yeah, I don't use my wheelchair very much, um, mainly because I understand and have seen it myself, um, you know, the, the accessibility issues in which a wheelchair has around Australia and in the world. And that, to me, sort of makes, you know, makes things, me not want to use my wheelchair as much as my prosthetics, but um, at the same time, it's, it's easier as well. Um, you know, when I'm cooking, um, and at home doing, you know, home tasks like cleaning and things like that. It's always on the, on the prosthetics because they're just more mobile. You know, it's not, you know, I don't know, 40 centimetres wide by 50 centimetres long. I don't need that space. You know, I, I can be on my prosthetics and move around and, and carry things without having to push. And, you know, that's a very, it seems like a, an obvious thing. But when you have like a scorching hot cup of coffee in your hand, and you try and push a wheelchair, it's, it's actually quite a difficult task to, to not spill it on yourself and burn you and avoid things. So that's, um, you know, just a functionality thing. But um, outside, there's, um, uh, you know, times where I have had to use my wheelchair and that's because I've had like a, an infection or a, a skin wound or something like that on my leg, which, you know, putting prosthetics on and those who don't know how prosthetics work. For me, I use a liner. So it's like a silicon liner over my skin and then my socket uh, slides onto that and then it's sort of held on. And being in, a, I live in a hot country and, and I, I compete in a summer sport and that that is obviously a hot uh, location usually as well. So, you know, sweating and then there's infection problems and things like that. So being in my wheelchair allows my skin to heal a lot better. And, um, I've noticed that you know when you're getting around um, in a wheelchair, people look um, and are probably a little bit more aware that I have a disability. Um, it's not as obvious if I was to wear my prosthetics around. They when they do spot me, um, you know they they have a little look and you know, that, that's fine. That's natural human curiosity and. Um, you know, kids are always the funniest and, and you know, oh, look, he's got a robot leg and things like that. So that's quite cool. But, um, you know, just the, the, and then the actual response to that from the parent is always really interesting because the parent, because some people are like, oh, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Like, sort of shaming the child for being curious about disability rather than explaining 
the disability to the child or explaining the amazing technology in which you know disabled people are able to get around on and you know, i've got um uh, what are those things called um they hook onto the back of your axle and push your wheelchair around um uh, it's like a motorized um like little engine with a wheel on the back of it oh, and it hooks yeah, onto you yeah, and, and I, I've used that in the past out in public and, you know, kids are amazed. Oh, Dad, can we get one of them? And, you know, that's pretty cool to, to hear and um, to see and, and things like that. So it, it is a little bit different in terms of how people interact with you. And, um, you know, I, I would like people to interact exactly the same way as they'd interact with their, you know, their best friend that is able-bodied or, or, you know, things like that. And that's again one of those so society things that cultural sort of it's slowly changing but you know still a long way to go yeah exactly i bet you've you've learned a lot along the way <laughs> um so next i want to talk a little bit about uh uh, disability technology such as you know your prosthetics and wheelchair and just delve a little deeper into that um, what type of wheelchair do you use and what do you think could be improved to make it even better to make your life easier yeah um i use a tie light um i actually don't know what model it's called it's how much i know about wheelchairs um <laughs> it's got blue wheels i wouldn't either except i just purchased one so it's a tie light yeah it's a ZR, that's what it is. I can just oh. see the label. A ZR tie light, and you know, it's made of titanium, it's very light, it's probably only like nine kilos, um, and it's um, pretty comfy. Um, I think one thing I'd like to change about it is that my wife um, sheds a lot of the hair, and it, all the hair gets caught in the wheels, and it might not be um, anything to do with Rachel's hair, it could be someone else's, and it just catches in the wheels. So I wish that. <laughs> that wouldn't happen um, as much. So, but um, yeah, other than that, um, I probably would put on maybe a, a cup holder, which would be good, so I could carry my hot cup of coffee. Um, and yeah, I think that's pretty. They're fairly good now. Well, not that I've, you know, I've been in hospital and had the hospital wheelchairs, you know, the big heavy things, and well, these ones here are pretty good. But um, it'd be nice to be able to pack it down really, really, really small. But understanding it. I'm quite a big guy, so I need a, a quite a big wheelchair and the frame and the wheels need to be as such. So um, yeah, the the wheelchairs, because this is my second wheelchair. The other one, I, I um, it broke in transit, so um, on, a, on an aircraft, which was, you know, those things happen, I guess. Yeah, it's just the way it is. Yeah, no, my I, I've had a few of mine damaged as well. Um, yeah, I've ha I have the same problem, except it's not other people's hair, it's my own hair, and I just, you know, take the wheels out every few months and clean it out. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that's a relatively easy fix if you know how to do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Being in a wheelchair uh, in public, what, what are some things, uh, physical infrastructure, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> Just barriers that you've encountered. Yeah, so an interesting thing is that I'm in a para-canoe team, so we do at an elite level. So we're accessing a facility that's just around the corner from my house, which is really great. And they provide for, you know, the para-canoe team, but the actual building is not accessible. And I, like, I've not been in that building with a wheelchair, but I, I now see accessibility as a wheel sort of thing. So it, everything has to be rolled. And 
when I walk in, I have to walk over a curb or climb over a gate. <laughs> and we do have two, uh, we had a couple of athletes. We've got one athlete now who's in a wheelchair and she uses her crutches in, in the building because it's just easier. And then, because it's got upstairs and that's where the disabled shower and, and toilet is, but it's a, a chair um, lift. So then someone has to carry the wheelchair up the stairs. Like it's just not accessible. And I think, um, you know, it, it's just common sense when it comes to accessibility. If you think that you're wheeling a trolley of, or a new fridge around into your building, that's when you start understanding, oh, like we can't, you can't get in here with a wheelchair. And, and I think that's a really a massive oversight and I'd like to see it change, but we'll, we'll you know, little baby steps, I think, for, for especially a, a national sporting um, institute. But um, for me, I remember I was over in Italy, uh, was it last, the year before, and I had you know, the infection on my leg, like I was saying, and um, I noticed that the, the paths around Italy are pretty, pretty hard, hard work and cobblestones are an absolute nightmare. So um, they're pretty hard to get around. You kind of want to just do a wheelie everywhere because the little wheels and the cobblestones do not work that well. And um, yeah, so that, that's probably one of those things. And then if people leave things lying around on the ground and it might not be much, it might just be a little power cord, but that can almost throw you out of the wheelchair if you're not paying attention. So that sort of thing, you know, just, yeah just um things that you don't think about you know you just step over them otherwise but you know not in a wheelchair yeah um exactly i've encountered similar things um and i think i disagree with you on baby steps i think we need to it's we've taken baby steps for much too long it's time uh, yeah, for, for sure. big giant bold steps and um i hope that you know you can use your prominence to do that. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. yeah. Um, yeah I, I've been to Italy, um, Rome sp specifically, and other parts of Europe, and there's cobblestone everywhere. My back ache because yeah. I, I just do wheelies everywhere. <laughs> and I was doing solo travel, and yeah, I was doing yeah. solo travel, and so it, it got very exhausting. It's very exhausting to travel mm, in a yep. manual wheelchair by yourself. Um, but it was also very fun. Anyway, so. The other question I have for you, which I'm, I was curious about, is where do you put your prosthetics or wheelchair uh, when you're out canoeing or kayaking, so that you know you can access it later, or you're not so and not stranded when you come back. Yeah, um, we actually it's a bit of a precarious situation um, because we just I, I don't use my wheelchair uh, unless we are at a competition. And the reason why I do that is that the infrastructure at the competitions is very good for wheelchairs and the ramps are nice and, you know, gradual slopes and um, the pontoons are very low. Whereas the, the ramp for our pontoon um, here is very, very steep and it's even steeper on a low tide because um, it sort of moves. And um, so I just use prosthetics. So I just take them off and literally just leave them on the pontoon with a towel over top of them. So it's very, yeah, it's been a couple of times where I've noticed a couple of fishermen on the pontoon and they would have spotted the the legs and been like, what the hell? Like, this is, yeah, someone's legs are just laying here. And I'll do, you know, 12Ks and I'll be away for an hour and 20 minutes and then come back. And um, thankfully so far, touch wood, um, no, one's, no one's pinched them or taken them. But um, 
there was a situation when I was in Canberra, which is not, um, you know, that's like almost 1200 kilometers away from here, which is our nation's capital. And I went out for a, like just a, a casual paddle by myself. And I have um, another set of legs that I use to get in and out of the boat on a beach. Um, just, you know, it saves, you know, having to clean them and pull the legs apart and putting them back together. Um, and they're just like very um, sort of uh, simple. They're just pretty much a, a knee hinge and then a, a hot, like a solid foot. So no sand or anything. So then you just spray them down with a hose and it's, it's they're really good. But um, I, I had them and I, I put them on the shore and then, um, did a did a paddle and I was probably like two or three k's away and I saw it and I was turning around to come back and I could see a car had pulled up on the beach and you know being two k's away that's quite a long way away and I could see people just in the distance walk over to where my legs were and then walk back to their car and then play around and have kids and dogs and stuff and I you know my heart sank because I was like they've just put my legs in their car and I was going as fast as I could, but I, I like, I couldn't you know, go any faster than what my body was able to, to push me. And I got to the shore and said like, Oh, can I have my, my legs back please? And they were like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We just um, took them out of the way for the dogs and the, and the kids so they didn't play with them. And I was like, uh, right. Yeah. Okay. Like what, why didn't you just pull the dogs and kids away from them and play over that way? I just, yeah. And that was the only situation in which someone's, um, you know, move my legs or tried to take my legs, um, you know, whilst I've been out paddling. So it's probably a very good lesson there to, to not uh, do that. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think every obstacle is also an opportunity in, in some ways. And so perhaps we can systemize that in, a, in some way and, and create a, uh, a place where people can set them securely, just like there are bike racks and there are, exactly. um, you know other similar things that you know yeah. there are little hooks for purses when you go to restaurants maybe we can mm -hmm. create such a system for prosthetics and you know unlike yeah. shoes that people wear wheelchairs yeah. are like basically your legs prosthetics yeah. are your legs and so um they're quite important and if you lose them it's not easy to obtain one easily no no not not at all and, and not not one that's specially you know built and designed for for your size and, and things like that so um we've been working with um our facility manager to try and get like a, a storage box that locks up so we can put our prosthetics and, and things of, of uh you know valuable nature in them um so but uh yeah it's a little bit of a work in progress there yeah um anyway so i i think i think Hopefully somebody will be able to come up, um, maybe someone even listening to this podcast will be like, oh, there's a void that needs to be filled. Because um, yep. I know even in Australia, one in five people, I think, have a disability there as well. Yeah, yeah. It's um, quite, quite a large number of people. And, you know, like you said, opening this, this podcast today about, you know, I, I've acquired my disability later on in life. And it, it's one of those exclusive clubs that anyone can become a part of at any time and, and that needs to be thought about in a more um more wider sense that you know anyone at any time is, is could could acquire a disability and that needs to be thought of mm -hmm, exactly so i'm gonna, I'm gonna move on to family and relationships um yeah. everyone's favorite topic so 
do you feel there is a uh, a disconnect disconnect or a gap between you know your disability world and your partner's able body world now that you were a part of before um are, are you two able to connect uh, emotionally like you used to even though your your lived experiences even on a daily basis uh, and the people you would have normally interact or uh, would have normally normally interacted with um have changed um i don't know for you for you two personally maybe it hasn't changed all that much maybe it has or do you feel that it really you know she just understands you so well that you, you know, the change in vantage point and the, and the big, uh, you know, big things that you've encountered, big obstacles haven't really affected that relationship. Um, so I think now we're at a different stage um, after acquiring my disability. I think um, initially it was very difficult to try and sort of understand um, my comfort with intimacy and, and also with um, affection and, and that was really difficult uh, in the, the early stages um, you know, trying to learn my body again and, and be comfortable with it and um, as I said before living in a hot country um, means you know obviously it's warm and I explained the prosthetic situation before the liners and then you know the socket over top and, and you know you sweat in that and then I'm missing skin from my legs to uh, radiate heat so my cooling um, my thermoregulation my body's a little bit skewed so I get you know hot and, and sweat quite quickly and I feel a little bit yuck and and then I, I don't want to be you know hugged or you know, anything like that so that's one of those things that I've had to sort of learn and so has Rachel to, um, you know, to be accepting of, of my, my space that I, I would like. Um, but it also at the same time, um, having uh, a disability, I felt that I was not worthy of her initially. And it was a, a very, a very personal, and I'm not putting this on anyone else. This is just my experiences and how I felt about it because I, I felt like I was broken. I was, you know, not a hundred percent. I, I'm not good enough and things like that. And, you know, that, that's very hard to explain to someone about those feelings and how that um, can then relate to your interactions with that person. So, um, you know, it, it took us a long time to, to come to terms myself. It, it's not really Rachel. It's all, all me and my, my, feeling about me and, and being happy, happy with my um, mentality and, and sort of psychic about my disability. And um, yeah, for me, I just sort of started thinking about the things that I could do and, and trying to look at how we could interact and you know, be together. And in the bigger picture, now looking back in hindsight, no, none of those fears and what I had at that time are actually relevant anymore. There, you know, there's something that I just had to learn to adapt to and, and get on with it. And you know, that took some realization and, and some sort of aha moments and, and moving on. But I think understanding, like you were saying before, about you know getting around Rome and, and how tiring having a disability can be just to just to do normal things. 
there's a bit of a statistic getting around. I'm not sure how accurate it is, but they say like a double amputee requires 60% more energy to do the exact same task or, or move around the same area as an able body would. And that's mainly because we just don't have the, the, the leg muscles and the efficiency of, of the, the, the human, human leg. And, and that's just one of those, you know, biomechanic things that we have to pay for. And, being very very tired at the end of the day is you know almost compounded to the fact that i then have i i am being an athlete as well as a disabled person and and me not allowing my tired state to affect you know my interactions and and having rachel understand that she is very accepting of of any sort of i don't know disagreement or um yeah just being being happy with um what you've got currently and, and enjoying you know life as it is so yeah i think i think what you just described is somebody who's newly injured especially as big of a change as you experienced back in 2014 um wait 20 12, yeah. sorry 12, 2012 yeah. 2012 um yeah. is um you know that's that's something other people experience whether it's it's um, uh, stepping on the IED, like in your situation, or going skiing and falling down from a mountain, you know, and, and being in a relationship. Like those people experience that, those vulnerabilities and those very real and raw emotions, and uh, and and they they battle that with themselves. And so, I think talking it out and like, oh, Curtis McGrath, you know, has had those insecurities as well and overcame them and worked through it mm. with her, um, his partner. And uh, because I've, I've talked to other people as a person with disabilities, having interacted with a lot of individuals with disabilities, um, they also have those kinds of challenges and those kind mm. of insecurities and vulnerabilities. And, and I'm glad you're, you know, very open about sharing. And I think that empower, empowers more people as well to to see the light <laughs> yeah um, it definitely is um a, a fact of working through things and, and not sort of closing yourself down and understanding that there is a difference in, in your life and and understanding that there still can be something there with that person that relationship and and as long as they're accepting and you know uh comfortable with your um uh, I don't know your insecurities and helping you work through them and discussing them and, and trying different things. I think that's one of the, the big things you have to be um, able to do. Otherwise it's just, it's going to be hard, hard work and, and you're going to hit brick walls all the time, but just keep trying new things and you'll find something that, that works. Yeah. And I think you found the right partner too, because yeah. sometimes when something happens like that, people may not have the right partner. They may not have been in the relationship for the right reasons in the first place. And That's so right, yeah. like two hearts didn't connect for the right reasons. And then something big happens um, and then they jump out and which in the end is for the best, but then it puts that person in the further deeper funk because they think it was them when it was really because they fundamentally didn't really connect mm -hmm. for the right reasons. Yeah, you know, I can't commend Rachel enough for her 
um, acceptance of me and, and the change in which we've both had in our life. And I've been you know, lucky to, to have Rachel through the whole um, incident before, you know, and then going through the rehabilitation and then learning to walk and, and then onto sport and, and things like that. And, and it's been um, you know, a, a tough road, but she's you know, been with me through it all. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's definitely sounds like you found, you found a gem as interactions or things that you normally would do before um, change now uh, uh, after 2012, after the injury, even, and I'm not just talking about the physicalities of it all yeah. as well. Um, yeah, I, I'm having trouble even explaining it. So that means it's not yeah. a great question. <laughs> That's all right. I, I, I guess the, the certain things that I used to do before and now I don't do is um, you know, I live in a beach city and one of the places that, um, you know, you would think you'd go a lot living in a beach city. Um, it would be kind of like living in, in California or, or Florida or something like that in Miami and, and not going to the beach at all because it's, it's not a place in which I enjoy because of the difficulty in accessing, uh, accessing the water's edge. And I love, you know, being in the water and being in the waves and things like that. Although massive massive storm waves are hitting the coast at the moment uh, so it's not a good place to be but um the and rachel really likes going to the beach and i'm like yeah no i don't really want to do that and and having that sort of understanding of do, you might have not have to do or might compromise and, and do things that other people don't want to do because um or the other people want to do but you don't want to do it and, and vice versa and and that needs to be something that's discussed um, through and, and understanding, you know, the, it might be an insecurity or it might be a, an ability thing that you're just not comfortable with. And, you know, me doing a, an activity outside in the middle of summer here is, is a pretty sweaty affair. And, and, and I'd prefer not to have to expose myself to do that. But at the same time, um, there's certain compromises in which you have to make just to, to you know, have um, a balanced relationship for sure. Yeah. Um, so earlier you were saying, you know, shortly after you acquired your disability, you felt like a broken person. You weren't, you know, mm -hmm. worthy of her. So did you feel that you have to overcompensate in any way, shape or form uh, due to any, you know, insecurities caused by your disabilities to your girlfriend, parents or friends? Just just broaden, broadening that scope. If yeah. yes, can you give us some vivid examples and tell us how you worked through it all? Um, I think the, the answer to that question for me is no. Um, I worked you know, with everyone and everyone worked with me in order to recover and, and rehabilitate and to get better. And, and that was my pure and like so focused goal from right from the get-go that I was trying to get better and, and having that sort of goal orientated mindset allowed me to sh not show other people but tell other people this is what I'm doing and if you want to help me do that let's go together and and that enabled them and then to understand me and my mindset about what I was trying to do and, and how I wanted to spend my time, um, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. But then when it comes to the things that I used to do and, and couldn't do anymore, I would sort of just push 
them aside and, and kept going. And, and that was one of the things that um, it, it, it's difficult because, you know, like, I, like we were saying, like the things we used to do or, or I used to do now I can't do, not can't, but just haven't you know, got around to addressing that challenge. Um, and that, that challenge for me right now, I really, really, really wanted to go skiing this, this winter down south in the mountains. But because of the COVID situation, it's sort of made going over to my, uh, the next state over is, is difficult and, and the equipment higher and all that sort of thing. Um, and then having Rachel and, and my friends understand that I can't go because of the COVID, and, but they can go because their, their equipment and you know, their state is, is fine. And, um, and, you know, understanding that, yeah, I, I, I'm missing a couple of limbs, but at the same time, I've got like nine, four sets of legs that no one else has got. And um, I've you know, managed to rehabilitate and, and use the goal oriented process mindset to focus on something and get through it. And that helps them understand also why I'm pushing that way or, or not pushing, but working towards. And, and yeah, and that's been a very interesting thing for me to learn about myself um, because the, and before I got injured, I had no idea that I was so goal orientated. I was, you know, just easy come, easy go, you know, lucky, happy go, lucky guy and just go with the flow. And, but also, but when I would set myself to do something, I would, you know, try and do it to my best of ability. And that wasn't apparent to me until you're met with a, and it's severe adversity, you know, situation. And that then becomes apparent that you are quite goal orientated. I'm not sure if that quite answers your question, but yeah. Jump no, it there. did. It definitely, yeah. it definitely did. Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I've, I've had many of the same situations because um, you have more mobility and options than me. Like I said, I use a wheelchair 100% of the time. And so, um, and, and so I, I can definitely relate to, um, especially the situation you just described of going skiing and, you know, not being able to do that due to various factors. So um, um, just the last question under, under this section is how has attending and participating in social events changed for you? For example, such as dancing. I know that's uh, an area that's tricky for me and kind of, yeah. You know, um, I find embarrassing sometimes. Yeah, yeah. It, I think yeah, dancing is one of those ones that uh, is difficult. Probably one of the most difficult and socially difficult things to do. Um, and and you know, I feel very awkward um, on the dance floor because you know my feet don't work the same way as they used to. And and you know, it's, it's, being on a wheelchair, it's even harder. And I remember this one time I was at a friend's wedding and we went to a pub after and like I'd, you know, I was in a suit so no one could tell um, that I had a disability and I'd ordered a, two beers from the, the bar and I turned around and there was a bit of like liquid on the floor and I slipped and I just fell straight down and both beers like smashed out of my hands and I could hear people laughing and that made me very, very upset but they didn't understand and I had to come to terms with their, what they saw, their perspective. And then that then made 
me okay with what happened, if that makes sense. So because of their understanding, they made a quick judgment and they were wrong. And you have to be um, aware of that, their, them being wrong and, and, and you knowing what you've done or how that happened. Um, and, and then moving on from that and understanding that you know, it's just a, 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 an ignorance thing or a naivety. I'm not sure which one it falls into, but yeah, being you know in that situation, it, it did make me realize that people are so quick to judge and so quick to, you know, assume things. And that then led me on to thinking about you know, just getting out there and enjoying it. And, and like I said before, is, you know, being happy with yourself and, and enjoying what you're doing rather than what other people are doing. And, and that's a very difficult thing to do. And I don't think there's a human on the planet that actually doesn't care what other people think. There's still that little, you know, otherwise we wouldn't wear clothes, you know, you, you know, we just do whatever we want and drive on the other side of the road because we want to, you know, it, it's not, it's, it's not like that. We have to, you know, you have to conform to some sort of societal norms, but at the same time, it's, it's being comfortable with yourself rather than you know, really um, doing you know, whatever you want. So, yeah. 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 Just, it's always that balance of, you know, um, doing doing giving yourself the freedom to live the life you want but also yes. ensuring the safety and you know the boundaries of others respecting that yeah moving on to household chores i'm sure rachel will be happy we're covering this um how has your disability affected how you uh to distribute household chores you know, how, how's your cooking? Um, have you needed to adapt anything in your house to enable you to, you know, live in a way that you're, a, you're able to do everything you want um, and con conduct your life in such a way that it's not constraining in that one spouse is doing one thing more than the other? Rachel's going to find this quite funny because I'm actually the one that's more the household chore person and I cook the most. And, um, oh, really? Yeah, so um, it's probably because I don't get so flustered as quickly as she does. Like she, it's quite funny because we've got a, a friend's um, barbecue this afternoon, and, and Rachel's very good at baking. But when it comes to cooking, so baking is more of a science. You you put a cup and a half of flour and a, and a teaspoon of salt. And that's very like that's set. Whereas cooking, you sort of go with the flow and, and let it sort of evolve as you as you go through it, and that's that's somewhere where Rachel was like, it's not right. It's not the right, oh, it's, you know, the, the meat's undercooked. And I was like, yeah, because you didn't cook it long enough. So I was, no, it said 15 minutes, so it all, but it's not cooked. So <laughs> that sort of thing. And um, which is, you know, always, always funny to watch, but at the same time, you know, Rachel was very, <clears throat> very tidy and will come into my office and rearrange my desk. And I get quite annoyed with that. And, trying to make it look all pretty and things. And she's very, very good at styling things and, and making things look good. And whereas I'm more about, you know, the functionality of the, the area and, and, and having the ability to do what I want to do. And one thing that I wish we could change in our house is that the, the clothesline outside to do the washing. Um, it's, it is in a place where I can get to in my wheelchair, but we, we, the clothesline's really high. So I'm just like, I'll have to do that on my legs or we just put it on a clothes rack in the bedroom. And, and that's what we've been doing and, and that, that works. But um, 
but also like Rachel, she's a, an ICU doctor. So she's not at home as much as I am. You know, I'm, I'm an athlete. I'm you know, doing a bit of study. So I'm here quite a lot, um, especially this year, obviously. Um, yeah. And then we, um, we're renovating a wall. So we're like going to paint it and things like that. So just doing things. And um, I painted a pergola sort of things over the, the, uh, on our deck the other day or the other month. And, you know, I'm still able to get out there and, and do things and um, be be of comp contribution to the household, which is, I think, in a way, quite fulfilling because you're you're con like I said, contributing to the house to to make it function and put the bins out when they need to go out and um, yeah. So, um, but I can understand and can see how um, there would be an assumption of role reversal and, and people often think that Rachel looks after me, but I. I I think she, I mean, I've taken the words out of her speech from our wedding is that I look after her. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really funny. Yeah. Um, and then, wow, that, that is um, insightful. So what about when it comes to, I, I know this is probably further along in the future with having family. Do you have any hesitations there with raising kids? Um, yes and no. I, I, um, I feel that um, kids is something that currently we're not looking at in any way, shape or form. It's, it's um, mainly due to our current ambitions. Like Rachel wants to finish her study and, and be, become an ICU consultant. So um, that obviously being a doctor in this current environment is pretty, pretty tough, but it, um, that allows her to be very focused and, and, and get through um, the, the training and, and all the different levels in which she has to uh, attain to, to get there. And then for me, um, obviously, Tokyo uh, Games would have been coming up really, really soon. And, and you would have been talking to me from Italy if um, everything was okay. Um, but it's not. And, and I'm here in Australia. And, and so that has allowed me to pick up um, you know, a bit more study and, and It'd be nice to do some more public speaking, but that's just the way um, it is at the moment. And uh, so at the moment, we, we're just thinking about our current uh, goals and ambitions and then that sort of pushes aside um, any additional members to the family, which is, you know, it's what it is. But um, never say never. We, we'll never know, but um, well, we will know one day, but it'll, it'll be in the future. So, yeah. Yes, but no, is, is the, the current answer to that question. Yeah, it's been really enjoyable talking to you. And, uh, and thank you so much for being insightful. I, I've learned a lot from you. I think I, I um, can definitely learn from you in, in respect to, you know, being driven and goal setting and motivation and being humble for sure. Um, you know, you have lots of reasons not to be. Hungo, mm. humble and have a big ego and yeah you definitely don't and so I, I appreciate that and thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time as well it's my pleasure Ming. thank you very much and it's been lovely to talk to you as well so uh, yeah have a good yeah. day I only know what it's like in America Shutting doors I don't think that's right Thanks for listening to another Trips and Global on Wheels podcast hour. 
Look for us on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, where I post pictures of my travels, share videos of my fitness journey, and keep you updated on the latest wheelchair accessory must-haves. Tell others about our program. The more we can raise awareness about these issues, the stronger we can get as a community. At Trips and Global on Wheels, we aim to build a community of healthy, worldly, and informed individuals with disabilities and disability advocates. That means we want to hear from you, our listeners. Send us an email at tgowpodcast at gmail dot com. Let us know about your favorite destinations for accessible travel. How do you stay fit to avoid chronic injuries? What language do you prefer to describe your identity as someone with a disability? We want to provide a platform for people to share and learn from each other. So send us your stories. If you have suggestions for future guests that you would like to hear on our podcast series, please leave them in the contact us section of our website. Or post them on our Facebook page. Thanks again for listening. Bye bye. And this is 